everybody welcome to the 370th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage kicking alive and directing beaverton oregon ready to talk about these portland trailblazers it's been a little while since we last talked about them so let's let, let's get it looking back at that four game road trip the blazers kicked it off in los angeles against the lakers losing by 24 points 134 to 110 but aside from that it's been a competitive basketball all the way around uh tuesday uh january 23rd they probably should have beat the oklahoma city thunder but end up losing 111 to 109 which is a major turnaround from losing by 30 plus points in november in portland and then by 62 points just earlier this month in oklahoma city uh they bounced back the the, the second night of a back-to-back getting an overtime victory in houston against the rockets thanks to a jeremy grant bank three at the end of regulation 137 to 131 and then the injury bug reared its ugly head a lot of players went out early and often against the san antonio spurs and portland had no gas left in the tank falling 116 to 100 in san antonio and then they had a back-to-back at home um, in typical Blazer fashion, they play down to the level of their opponent. The Bulls, without Zach Levine and Patrick Williams, were able to uh, waltz into Portland and steal a 104-96 victory. And then Portland, taking advantage of a shorthanded Philadelphia 76ers team without Tyrese Maxey and reigning MVP Joel Embiid, cruised to a 130-104 victory uh, on Monday night, putting the Blazers right now 14-33 and on the season. 14th in the Western Conference and still firmly entrenched into that five spot in the draft lottery standings. So uh, the thing that stuck out to me was they they actually involved DeAndre Ayton offensively and he rewarded them with secondary and third efforts defensively. And I really don't think this is going to be a sustainable thing just because of the guards and wings that we have on our roster. Um, They don't really look out for uh, other players. They're really focused on getting theirs. But to see what DeAndre Ayton can do empowered and motivated to play and, you know, it's been a rare occurrence where I see him do a second effort on a play, but he was doing some really good defensive work like with, you know, getting the block and then rotating, getting the rebound to see him doing that was like, maybe he's good enough to deserve all that salary, but it, it's, it's only like three or four games. And I know when things get rough, they're going to revert to what they did in the past. They're not going to think Deandre needs at least 10 shots. We're going to get, you know, ants and, and you know, Jeremy more shots. And then when Shaden comes back, when he's healthy, what's going to happen to DA's touches? So I'm really enjoying watching a motivated center play offense and defense, but I'm, I'm really betting against it not being a sustainable thing with the coaching staff and the, the things that they value. I, I I truly don't think that this happens long-term, but if it does, I would be 
really happy to be wrong. I mean, over the last four games specifically, you're looking at DeAndre Ayton giving you 19 and a half points per game, nearly 12 boards per game, and most importantly, getting up 14 shots a game. You can tell there was specifically in that Philadelphia game without Joel Embiid, there was a concerted effort to get him the ball. I mean, we had more lobs to DeAndre in that game than they had the entire season combined. This is all anecdotal, right? Like, I'm not going to go and... And Paul Reed's like 6'6", right? What's that? Paul Reed's like 6'6". Yeah, and that's really all they had. Like, Tobias Harris is 6'9". They just just didn't have the the size down low. And, you know, credit to Portland. Um, My complaint is it shouldn't have taken until late January to initiate your prized offseason acquisition into the offense. This is what he is. He's a, he's a rim running big. And I was telling you uh, during the, the Indiana game, I was watching specifically and I'd noticed this before, but he does not have good form in his shot. Like when he shoots the basketball from, I think anytime he takes a jump shot, essentially he, he aims like you can tell he's aiming and not just going off of muscle memory. And he lets his guide hand get to way too much contact on on that basketball and this is why you see him shoot a career low field goal percentage this year is because he's taking more from the more from the field uh outside of the paint and he's he's just not a a a, um a natural jump shooter right like just watch him shoot the ball and like there's going to be shots you're like it's going to miss left it's going to miss right short long like he's missing all over the place and there's just not a real feel he also uses a lot of arm without using his legs um, it, he is such a fascinating player because there is, is a point where I was thinking about, you know, coming on and being like, you know, DeAndre Ayton's not a good basketball player, not, not, a, not a productive basketball player, but like in terms of like, can you dribble? Can you shoot? Can you catch? Like he, he's struggling in a lot of those areas. However, you cannot understate his impact when he's on the floor because he's, over seven feet tall. He's incredibly agile for his size. He rebounds really well. And he is your best defensive interior presence. So even if he's quote unquote, maybe not a fundamentally solid basketball player, he's still really damn good because of things that you absolutely cannot teach. You can't and, tell Reith to move the way DeAndre moves. Yes. And I also noticed though, but I, I, I was thinking you can tell when he's involved mentally by the way he moves. Just mm-hmm. watch him on the court. Like my first job, I was 16 years old. I was working at Elmer's restaurant. I was a bus boy. I had to clean up after everybody else's mess, right? Never knew when I was getting there. You clock in, but you never know when you're going home. Man, I would just kind of just putz around, you know, just taking my little short choppy steps. Like I just like, when, when is it clocking out time? DeAndre has that same motor when he's not engaged, when he's not getting the ball, like when he's just like, what are we doing out there? If you just watch him, just kind of like jogging, you know, kind of, you know, making enough of an effort not to get not to get reprimanded, but also just not going crazy. But when you see him engaged, getting those lobs, being a part of the offense, it's a much different player. And the blueprint is there for Chauncey Billups and the coaching staff. It's up to them what they want to do next. What big is like, there's not, it takes a special type of player to be 100% motivated 100% of the time and not touching the ball ever. 
So I, I, I get why he's unmotivated. I mean, like, it's the worst possible context for a big to prove himself. Like, we're, we're, we're a bad team. We have two selfish players with the most usage. So he's not going to get the ball unless it's, like, a designed play to get him the ball or Scoot Henderson's on the floor. So I get why he's unmotivated. I totally do. And then our defense is ass. He doesn't get any help rebounding the ball. So I get why he's unmotivated. But... You know, watching him be motivated, it's like, okay, it makes me think, is he good enough? Because unmotivated DeAndre, I, you know, it, it's bad. But it's Chauncey Billups' fault that he's unmotivated. It, it, like, he doesn't know how to treat big men, man. Like, I, I, in his small coaching career, he's unmotivated and really just been a bad influence on all of the bigs Portland's had, really. So I don't know what it is, but watching him be motivated, it's like he could be. I don't think he'll ever be tier one center, but he definitely could be fighting for like a top 10 center. And then it's then it's like an argument. Is he good enough? to earn the contract that he's going to get and then the next one and stay on the Blazers. So, yeah, I I think Chauncey Billups has just done him a disservice with everything this year. And we're finally getting to see what a motivated athletic center can do. And even him being unmotivated, he still puts up more effort defensively just being there than what we were seeing when he was hurt. Like, him being on the team was a helpful thing. Now, him baysmooring himself in the shot, I think more reps will help with that, but I think it's all about him at least being involved in the game for him to be, like, a plus-plus everything that we're talking about. And it, it's just, like... Just cutting down the isolation basketball a little bit, involving him in things that he does, like you know. Hey, the, can we can we talk about the touch pass out for the three? He gets yeah, a, he's he, not he gets a, a bad passer. touch against gets a paint touch deep against Philly, one hand cross court for an open three. Uh, I watched the Sixers feed on NBA TV, and they were just gushing over Aiton in that pass. Like he, the talent is clearly there. Some players need to be coached down. Some players need to be coached up. He's clearly the latter. There's talent there. Like, that's what you're paying a coach to do is to get the most out of that player. People have different personality types. You can't just do a one one size fits all coaching philosophy and spread it out across your entire roster. You need to take a tailored approach. And up until this recent four game stretch, we really hadn't seen a tailored approach to DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, it's 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 silly. Like literally, he's one of our most expensive players. He's the prized possession of you know trading away a franchise icon and potential like best player ever, and then we just don't involve him for ninety five percent of the years thus far. It's kind of fucking silly. You at least need to know what you got. Like obviously. He was ripped down playing with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like, he was scaled down. We need to know what DeAndre Ayton is scaled up. Like, you know, is he is he Tyson Chandler or is he, like, you know, top 10 center? We really don't know. Like, 
yeah, it was, it was a complete and utter disservice to him and what he can do on a basketball court with giving him like six opportunities to score a game. And if he if he missed four of the six, he wasn't touching that ball again. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad to see that he's doing well and, you know. He just gets a lot of like negative press from the media, the like national media. And I kind of feel sorry for him. Like it wasn't his fault. He was the first overall pick when Luca and Trey Young were there. He he was a really great prospect. The movement abilities, what he can do on the court. There's not that many humans that can do it. Too bad that there was two super duper star point guards. But I mean, right now I'm very happy with DeAndre, but I totally expect when things get hard, we're not involving him again. Switching gears to another important piece to the Trailblazers puzzle is Anthony Simons. And I have a question for you right off the bat, Sage. Are the, what is the path forward with Anthony Simons in Portland? Are, are, the, are the Blazers going to coach him to play like Monte Ellis and Damian Lillard, or are they going to try to play him more like Steph Curry? I'm not calling him either any of those players, but there is a different playing style that I think he is capable of doing given how incredibly talented he is offensively. I would say if the Blazers are committed to him as a shooting guard, he needs to play more off ball. But from what I'm watching, they want they have him as the lead. Even when Malcolm's there and Scoot's there, like he is he the is, number one dude. He is the lead guard. He is scoring with the ball in his hands. And, you know, there are nights where he looks unstoppable. He kept Portland afloat in the San Antonio game. He had 40 points, a lot of that in the second half. But then you also see kind of the the feaster famine of Anthony Simons because he is such a tough shot taker and tough shot maker. You look at that road trip, the seven-game road trip, 4 of 14 against the Knicks, 4 of 13 against the Thunder, 0 of 10 against the Timberwolves, but then you can bounce back and go 13 of 20 at Houston, 14 of 27 at San Antonio, and then Chicago, 4 of 15. Like th- There's been like more than any period in the, the Ant Simons era, and I, and I define that as you know last year and this year when he was given a starting role. This is probably the the most high variance. That's a throwback, fully backward mm-hmm. reference for our, our old heads out there. That is the most high variance stretch of play that I've seen from him. Now, granted, he's been in and out of the lineup dealing with, you know, an illness that, you know, has been kind of kicking all of our butts this, this winter. And that definitely plays a factor into it. But if the Blazers are committed to him and they are committed to Scoot Henderson, they need to figure out a happy medium because Ant playing like Monte and Dame is, I, I don't think it is a winning path forward. He's too good off the ball. His shot's too quick. He's got unlimited unlimited range. Uh, he's athletic as hell. Uh, I, I'm not saying he never gets to touch the ball in isolation situations, but Skill him just coming, yeah, him just coming down and running the offense, resulting in him, you know, get, getting a, getting a shot, like, cool. We've seen that with, with Dame for, for the past decade. It, it's, it's as great as Dame was, and it is. It's, it's not, it, 
the NBA has shown us historically that is not a winning formula to win championships. There's only been one scoring point guard, I think, over the past 35 years that has won a championship as the lead guy, and that's Isaiah Thomas. And I think Steph Curry's kind of more of a, of a two. I think Steph Curry's in a completely different category, given how they played, uh, how he works softball. But with the ball in the hands, the best player taking the most shots, it was Isaiah Thomas and those bad boy Pistons, and he had a generational defense behind him. Yeah, it's the only player like it, it just it's not an archetype that has been tested and proven to deliver rings uh, in recent modern NBA basketball. So I, I just hope the Blazers know what they're doing. I think Amory Simons is a special offensive talent. I think he's taken his game to uh, higher and higher heights um, as his career has has prolonged. He's better this year than he was last year. He's added things to his game. He's getting to the line more often. He has shown a he's shown a, a better propensity to impact a game when he's not shooting the ball well. And that was one of the big questions we had for him last year. But him trying to be Damian Jr., that's not going. I mean, we're just going to be having the same conversation in five, five or seven years. When when is the time to trade trade Ant? Like like we're we're stuck in the first round, of the second round of the playoffs. We can't get out. Like I just, I hope they just there is a long term vision for these guards because they all are so different, and it isn't the smoothest of fits given skill sets and size. But I do want to see them try to make it work. And I don't think we're going to see that until Shaden returns from that abdominal injury. Well, I think that you need to, obviously you need to scale Ant down a bit. And I don't think we can really think about scaling Ant down until we have a coach that can make him buy in. Obviously, he's bought into this scheme and system because he's the alpha in it. But it's really an awful and atrocious system that, you know, like, it makes our offense look really hard. Like, if we're playing the Pacers, yes, we won that last game, sure. But the Pacers were getting much easier attempts at it just because we, every fifth game, can hit amazingly difficult shots consistently. So I think that we need to have a coach in place that can, A, create a scheme that's more versatile and better, and then have the conversation with Ant and create a what what his role is, because he, he's not going to be an... On a good team, he's not the Alpha Omega do-everything guard. He just isn't. He can absolutely, absolutely win you some games. I think that there needs to be a balance between him creating on ball and 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 being like a really deadly lethal off ball guy. He's one of the best pull-up shooters we have in this league and that is the that is the greatest tool you can have as a lead guard. But he does not have the vision to be a lead guard. So I, I think number 1 for the Portland Trailblazers is find a coach that can scheme out ways to get Shaden Scoot and Anthony the ball. And then we can make some decisions if we see a future. But with what we're running today, with it being basically G League Ignite fucking chaoticness, I, 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 Ant, Ant's probably the best possible player to do what our scheme is telling him to do. Like, 
please create for us. Save us. We need your every fifth game. You are absolutely on fire. So he's doing what is asked of him now. But when this team is competing for things more like that are worth more than beating the 76ers without Tyrese Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid, there needs to be a scheme in place where it highlights all three of our scoring guards and whoever else is on the team. So I think step one is finding a coach that isn't Chauncey Billups to run this, run this scheme, a creative scheme and then run it. So right now he's doing what he, what, what is asked of him and, and, and succeeding, but this is a joke of an offense right now. So it's the worst possible offense. And we're like relying on a, a diet of really difficult shots. So it, it, it's a very tough place to be, but yeah, it, 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 it just needs a coat. We just need some strategy in this and we're not really getting it. Even with a nearly healthy roster, the Blazers are only 29th in the league in points per game, a little over 108 and they are 29th in offensive rating just under 109. So and Memphis is the worst without jaw, right? Without Jaw, without um, Marcus Smart's been in and out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, Bane's hurt. Bane's out for a while. So there, the the time for excuses, I, I think, is is starting to to run thin. Um, before we move forward and, and discuss uh, Damian's return, I, I want to talk about Scoot Henderson and kind of propose the question to you. Do you think the Blazers are truly committed to Scoot Henderson? And the reason I ask this question is when they drafted him, it was such, it felt like they were being pulled in one direction and in another direction, right? Mm -hmm. Dame says, hey, go get us this all-star, but you're enamored with this new young point guard that could be the face of the franchise for the next 10 to 12 years. They don't really, like, I remember when we drafted Odin. I remember when we got B-Roy and LaMarcus and when we got Dame. Like, we were pumping out content nonstop for the Blazers. I was I was there for most of those. Greg was a little bit before my time. But the other ones, it was actually mostly with Dame. It was like, you know, we are just so stoked. We have this lot, high lottery pick. There was really none of that. They waited a day or two afterwards to release the, the video of, you know, ownership and coaching staff and Cronin, you know, giving Scoot that welcome call. And... Okay, so you kind of like feel a little bit odd there. Like there just wasn't this big marketing push for this new fresh face. And they start him. It doesn't necessarily go well, but it was super early. And then he get he gets hurt in that Detroit game. And he's never really found, I think, a consistent role since. He's been coming off of the bench, but his minutes have been varied. You look at that Houston game. Yeah, you see 24 uh, minutes. He only played five in the second half, including overtime, mm-hmm. and he was having a pretty solid uh, first half there. Um, you look Sunday, uh, the fourth against the Phoenix, fourteenth against the Phoenix Suns. He's playing forty minutes, putting up thirty-three points, nine assists, seven rebounds. Um, to me, it's not a coincidence that in the fourth quarter of the Philadelphia game, yes, the game's out of hand, yes, it's stress-free basketball, but when he was given free reign. He was saying, the coach was saying, you're the point guard, the ball's in your hands. How effortless and free that Scoot played. We were getting pull-up threes, catch-and-shoot threes. We were getting drive-and-dunks. We, we were just seeing everything that we saw on tape. 
uh, the past two years from from the G League. Like we're like that's the Scoot Henderson that that we're we were planning on getting. So, with all of that said, are, are do the Blazers just like? Is it almost just kind of like? I don't know. Whenever you like, I, I liken it to. when you are on a team, right? And you're playing video games, right? In, in, in a team and you're like, I want to play with my rival. Like, I don't know why. Maybe it's just like, it's like, you know, it's, it's you're not supposed to, but I want to play with my rival for a season. And it feels weird, but like, you just, you just want to do it. Like sometimes you do it in NCAA football when you're, you know, recruiting and like, let's just try playing with like Oregon State for a season. How does that feel? I kind of get that vibe with the Blazers and Scoot. They're like, we have Dame, maybe the greatest Blazer of all time, also point guard, but like this other point guard, like we, we really need him too. And they just haven't been able to fully embrace that. And I, I don't know if they're waiting until the trade deadline to move Malcolm Brogdon. I, I don't know if, I just don't know what the plans are. And I think that that more than anything is impacting Scoot's performance on the court is just the uncertainty surrounding maybe his, his role on, on the team. I think uh, Chauncey Billis is obviously... You know, it, it it it's the Billups thing. He's not giving Scoot a good role for him to succeed. If he wants Scoot to be off the bench, be off the bench, but don't take him out for foolish and stupid reasons. And I, I think a lot of the issues that I, I guess the Blazers are still hung up on Dame because he's the best Blazer ever, but. We made this. You can't have your cake and eat it too. With in regards to you know play, paying homage to Dame, but trying to uh, you know develop this point guard at the same Pressure time. In the next generation. Yeah, I, I I really just think it's Chauncey Billups sucking as a manager of people. Like, forget the coaching aspect. He sucks at managing people. He's really great to Tumani. Actually, he's not anymore because he's coming off the bench. So, like, he, his management of people is just shitty. So, that probably doesn't help the rep of Scoot Henderson when he's just getting, like, you know, like, if he plays eight minutes in the, the first half, you're projecting him to get another eight the second, and he plays, like, three. So, it's a bad role, and then Chauncey Billups is just thinking that Malcolm Brogdon is going to be the end-all, be-all for the, the team. And then, you know... I just blame Chauncey Billups for a lot of the the actually I shouldn't just Chauncey Billups the entire basketball operations for putting Chauncey Billups in this position to fuck over a year of development for Scoot Henderson is what I I blame I I mean like Scoot's when he's in he's a gamer he's going to put in the effort and he wants to win desperately we're just putting him in awful scenarios for him to do that where you know. You know, you're projecting him for 14 minutes. He plays 38. We're projecting him to play 30s fucking at 10. And eight of them are in the first half. It's just bad management of people. It and and like he's he's obviously the star, you know, worker, and we're just putting him in dog shit scenarios. So like I don't blame Scoot at all. I blame the people that are putting them in places to fail like honestly this year outside of jeremy grant and anthony simons 
who has been put in a position to succeed the entire year? I would have said Tumani, but now no, he's well, actually, now he is in a position to succeed. He was in a position to fail for the entire year. Like they're not putting anybody outside of those two guys oh, in position. Malcolm. But now he with without Anthony on the court, absolutely. But now that Ant is consistently playing, Malcolm's in the corner. Like so it's just which probably is where he belongs, but he he had such a diet of drives per game. Now he's just kind of been, you know, a tertiary part of this team. So I, I think it's Chauncey's lack of management experience and like putting these guys in positions to fail. I, I This is just a lost year in terms of development and everything for this team. Until Chauncey Billups is off this team, it's going to be a lost year. It's going to be a lost year. He's not going to develop into being a great coach or strategist. Just It, it isn't going to happen. Cut can the we, losses. Can we talk about the, the audacity of Chauncey Billups to get tossed in a one-point game? Like, I know wins and losses don't matter this year, but could you imagine if we were fighting for like a playoff spot or the one seed or home court advantage and all year fans have been begging Chauncey Billups to just stand up for your team. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to show them like, we're going to be up a point and I'm going to get tossed. Right. And granted it may have been a quick whistle, but it just, it just seems like bad luck follows this guy everywhere, every which way. And I just kind of shook my head when when I saw that happen live. I was like, ha. it's like in the movie Friday when I'm like, how the hell do you get fired on your day off? On your day off? Like, how the hell are you going to get ejected with 10 seconds left in the game and your team up one? Like, it just, you, you really could not write the script. Nobody would believe it. But yet, here it is. It is real life. And the, the Blazers um, are going to be looking ahead at uh, a few uh upcoming games this week and a couple of games that have actually been televised. Uh, I've been able to watch a few live, which has been wonderful. Thanks to uh, NBA TV, uh, the Spurs and the Sixers game were live and Portland does have two nationally televised games. The only two like traditional nationally televised games uh, coming up in the span of eight days. Obviously we will discuss the first one uh, being the Milwaukee bucks on the 31st, but for those uh, paying attention trade deadline day, um, or excuse me, no, February 27th, the Miami Heat. I don't know why I had the Blazers playing the Heat on the 8th. I think the 8th has just been ingrained in my mind because it is trade deadline day. And if anything happens between now and then, we will have a reaction podcast. But we've already kind of discussed who we think will be dealt, some some options. Um, and hopefully is there the, is... Who are the untouchables for you, Scoot and Shaden, and that's it? Yeah. Ooh, quick thing. So, um, Ari is, is sick and has a stuffy nose and it kind of keeps us up at night. So I have, I can't sleep. So I have a lot, a lot of thinking to do. And when you told, ask me that question, if an expansion franchise in Vegas and Seattle comes next season, you can only protect eight players. Who would you protect? Uh, and I didn't really like my answer. Maybe it's because I was caught off guard, but I did some more thinking and I, I want to give a revised top eight, um, Obviously, Anthony, Scoot, and Shaden are three, but I'm keeping Malcolm for four because I think he has value. Trade like, him. I yeah. just don't want to let that's basically a first round pick that you're letting somebody else pick up. So, Malcolm is four. Jeremy Grant is five. A long term contract uh, helps you meet the salary floor, uh, borderline all star talent. 
and I think is also a very very um, attractive player to, to move down down the road. Six is DeAndre Ayton. I don't know how many people would come close to that contract, but Portland clearly is. There's there's bad and there's abysmal, and they're abysmal when DeAndre Ayton is not out there. And I want to see more with him. Um, I want to see how they can get him involved, like they have the past four games. So, so there's six, or there's there was five. Um, six would be. Ooh, this is tough. I'm going Rand Repair. Uh, I know it's been a little bit of garbage time that he's got in, but you, uh, you asked me if uh, Zachary, the no, like the top three pick, is as good as Ryan Repair. I'm like, bruh. <laughs> I, I, I like what I see from him. If he can hit that corner three, he's got arms for days. Like I'm just envisioning an absolute. He just needs football. to work on his body. Yeah, I, I don't want to let that player kind of slip away. Um, so that's six. Oh, this is tough. Seven. Well, I am. No, the, it, it, you have the starting five plus Malcolm. So you're at. You would be at seven with Ryan. Starting five. So I've. I've oh shit! Sorry, I apologize. Hold on, hold on. See, this is it's tough to do on the Scoot, Shaden, Anthony, Malcolm, Jeremy, DeAndre, Ryan, Repair. You're right. I've got one more player. Yeah. And this is where it's tough because it, it, it there's you're you're thinking Chris Murray. Wapreath and um, Shabari Walker. Oh, no, I picked him. I'm, I'm kind of like, I think Tumani is replaceable. Duh. Um, I like Rupert as a better long-term uh, three. He's like four years younger and there's, we have a slew of draft picks and there's a slew of small forward and power forward prospects that you can, I think get there. So Tumani would be on the outside looking in for me. Um, so yeah, it would be between those three. I think the best player right now is Jabari Walker. I'm not sure if I'm ready to give up on Chris Murray quite yet. And as much as I love Dwap, he is 27. If he w- if Dwap was regular rookie age, he would be my pick. So it really comes down to Jabari and Chris Murray. And I, I don't know who I would choose between those two just yet. I think Jabari um, is better today. I think Chris Murray's better in three years. I also think Jabari has an intangible aspect to him that Chris just will never have. Jabari's arguably the heart and soul of this team when he's out there. Like he's he just plays with a passion and energy. Um, Chris is more mild mannered, and that's not a knock on on Chris. That's just like something you you get when you have have Jabari, and I, I'm interested to see how he can develop. So it'd be between those two. Um, I was but on yeah. a Blazers Edge radio yesterday, and I don't want to call him out, but he's like, do you think Jabari is good enough to be a starting power forward on a competitive team? Like a, a, like a t- contender? I was like, no, I do not think he is that good. But like Jabari, if placed in the correct play, third or fourth big coming off the bench, that can be a high energy player. Every team needs a Jabari Walker. Yeah, like, but don't. Jabari has to do a lot of work to get to that. And yeah, I we're, think we're, that we're what talking, he's done is we're talking pretty dribbling. Amazing. We're talking self-creation. We're shooting. talking uh, playmaking, uh, shooting, not just from catch and shoot. Like, can you do one dribble pull-ups like and improving defensively? Like so that, that, that's, a, that's a lot like where he's in the six, six body doing it. There's limitations to what he can do. Cause he's shorter than but other bigs. If he continues to, 
master the the backboard and provide the energy and play plus defense that's valuable and anybody would want that on their roster yeah but i i think that because he's i think blazer fans are very very they put a lot of love into those high effort players like you, you saw it with Kamani, you're saying with jabari now wesley and, matthews oh god ed davis is still beloved in this Joel Prince so, Villa. so they so Tumani at a time and Jabari now kind of fit that that high energy player. I I think Chris Murray because he's so risk averse is kind of the opposite of what Blazer fans are looking for because he just uh, Chris Murray's like I'm going to be in position defensively and they're going to shoot over high hands. I'm not going to get that many steals or blocks or like high stock like high energy playmaking, defensive playmaking stuff that's shoot over high hand type of play, which, you know, can be great. And then a team setting is awesome. But I, I think Jabari gives you a lot of the Ed Davis thing, except in a smaller height wise body, but extra girthy, I guess. So <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I really do appreciate what he does, but, you know, there's limitations to what he can do. And, like, the way that he's changed, the way he moves is really, really incredible to see. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff he has to work on to be, you know, starter level good. But, you know, coming at, at the 58th pick in a draft and being a fourth fourth big or third big, that's a, an amazing career. All right, Sage, we have three games on the docket. Portland has a a long break uh, in terms of not the all-star break, um, but just a long break. Uh, they play Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and they don't play until Thursday. So they have three games until the trade deadline, which which is pretty crazy. Um, I, I, we're not going to touch too much on the, the second and third games because they're back-to-backs in Denver. I don't assume Ooh, either of us think yucky. we're going to win. There's, I, I don't want to put too much time on that. Like I, 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 We know how good Denver is. I want to f- focus more on tonight's game, which is the return of Damian Lillard uh, to the, the Rose Garden where he spent the first, what, 11-plus years of, of his career. And... First of all, prediction-wise, uh, offline, I am plus one. I had Portland beating Philadelphia, and and they did so. We also both had Portland beating Chicago. That didn't happen. Um, this is going to be an emotional game. Oddly enough, early in the season, we got a quarter-season ticket package. You know, we're broke boys, so we went for the Rising Stars package, which was basically a hundred bucks for ten games, super solid, and somehow. This they decided to, to put to put the Milwaukee Bucks. This is pre-Dame trade, but Giannis should be one of the biggest draws in the league. We get the Milwaukee Bucks in that package, and I'm like, oh damn! Like we get to see Giannis and Middleton, like and Drew. That that's a it's a great matchup. I would elbow the shit out of you in this game. All all of a sudden, Dame to Milwaukee comes out of nowhere, and someone's like, oh my god, those tickets are just flying. Like the the, the average price is like 180 dollars for a nosebleed, and mind you. Ever since moving to Portland in probably what 2007, <laughs> the Blazer in a playoff setting, I've been to every playoff game. The most I've ever paid for a ticket was the Western Conference Finals 
maybe nine, 75, 90 bucks. So to see this at 180, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I, I've got a kid, I know you got bills to pay. So I was like, Sage, I'm going to list these. And if, if, if they sell, they sell, they sold instantly. And I, I don't regret it because no well, I, I money is more important yeah it's about yeah i need the money but um you know it's i want to save that for like and, and if people are, are hyped to go that is absolutely that's, fu- oh, that's awesome shout out to the and person I, and i would love to have been there but like i wouldn't have sold those tickets for 80 bucks but they were there and i was like i i need this and uh yeah so but i'm also excited because this is one of the only two traditional games that's broadcasted live that I get to watch live. So um, it'll be nice to watch um, from my couch. And uh, what are you looking forward to this game? So when I realized what game we were talking about, I pulled up Underdog Fantasy. Also, if you want to be a part of Underdog Fantasy, use the code to Sage and get $15 to play. And they Spell match that out for our listeners. What's up? Spell that out for our listeners. U-N-D-E-R-D-O-G. And if you use the code Holy Backboard or DeSage, you get a match deposit of like, I think, $200. So we're shelling out to Underdog, but I really do like the service. So I, when you were talking, I pulled up the, the, the player prop thing. So when you first started talking, Dame was 26 points. So you have to choose over under. Now they moved it to 26.5. Do you feel like he's hitting the over of 26.5 against us? Points. I am terrible at betting, although I did win 20 bucks for my friend on the Lions Niners game because I took the Lions to cover and they did at the end. Mm. But normally I'm terrible at, at betting. I it depends. Like the the this is a Bucks team that is struggling to get Damian involved. This is a Bucks team. Yeah, that Doc Rivers does not help on that matter. They just brought in a new head coach midseason, a new heads, a new staff, not just mm-hmm. the coach. They brought in a whole freaking staff. Um, part of me is like, yeah, they're going to force feed him the ball. Yeah, right? they're gonna, they're going to try to let this. Another part of me is like, I think it just might be so emotional for him. I, I think they might find too much water in the, in the Giannis well, and, and they mm-hmm. might go to that. If I was a betting man, which I am not, I would probably take the under because I feel like that's what fewer the people emotion. Are, 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 are taking. I think he's going to have a nice game. Um, and again, he could just blow up for, um, you know, 50 points. But that's that's why I don't bet, because there's I, I don't see an advantage in choosing one or the other. I think they have an equal opportunity. It's almost like a, a roulette spin for me right now. You're basically saying red or black. And, and so, I just. Sage betting tip of this podcast. Betting sites are always going to juice the over. Now, in this, there is no juice to the over. But if you were on DraftKings, they're juicing the over heavy. What do you mean by juice? So they are hoping God, they're hoping to God that you will choose the over. The smart bet is what you just said with the under. Now, there's a lot of other circumstances that make it so I would probably bet the over. But if in general practice of betting, choose the under and throughout the year, you're going to be positive rather than negative. But I feel like this one is going to be a very difficult, you know. I would probably do do, do the over just because I think that he's going to try and do something special for the uh, 
the Blazer fans. I also think 6.5 points in the first quarter is very attainable for Damian Lillard. That's two threes and a layup. So, but I, I, Dustin, even though he is unconfident in his betting analysis, if you do unders throughout the year, you're going to be on top. But talking about this game in general, I think they are going to feature Damian Lillard more so than normal. So, and I think that what he's done for this team and this franchise and the city building roots, it does. He deserves to have more usage this game than others. I really am curious to see how we defend Damian Lillard with this type of context surrounding him. It's going to be very interesting, and we get to see it on national. We get to see it on TV, which is fantastic. So I. It it's going to be a emotional game for him and how 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 he handles this type of you know emotions is going to be a big determining of how Damien does. I think the Bucks are going to win, but yep. it's going to be is Damien going to be the alpha or is he going to take that backseat to to Giannis? Yeah, it's it'll be an emotional night for a lot of fans in attendance. Already seeing a lot of stuff on my timeline mm-hmm. uh, about people already, you know, getting nostalgic and, and the emotions flowing. I'm pretty damn numb and have been. I mean, listeners know that um, probably since Terry Stotts was fired, and you could tell that that slow decline from the Western Conference Finals run was really starting to take shape, and you started to see what the Blazers were becoming and you had Dame basically endorsing Billups and Jason Kidd for head coach. And then the, he had two tank seasons and uh, a third uh, tank season as well uh, this season, even though Dame wasn't uh, a part of it. So you just had, you had that factor into it. You have a great player trying to win on any bad team that just wasn't happening. You, you clearly had, both parties needing to go their separate ways, but so much emotional baggage was keeping them close by. Uh, you had Dame going on in every other podcast saying, oh, I want to play with this player. I want to play mm-hmm. with that player. And Chris Haynes being the mouthpiece. And like we were caught up in that Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard media storm with Damian mm-hmm. Lillard. And being a one market, a one team town, it felt even more treacherous of a storm. And I think that just kind of took a toll on me and like, I'm incredibly appreciative of everything that that Dame did, but I don't think I'll fully be nostalgic for Dame. Probably, I mean, it's going to take some time, right? Like I think back to Brandon Roy, and that those are the first years that I became a season ticket holder. But he blew out his knee and like showed showed face like at one game, and really wasn't to be seen for ten plus years. And like I was like, damn, like I just don't feel like I have that connection to be Roy. And then all of a sudden, he starts coming back around the organization represents us at the draft lottery and i'm like getting excited watching b-roy highlights and like it just you feel that connection back to that player in the moment when you were watching them and i think that's what it will take for me uh with dame especially because you know i'm i'm all in on some of the young talent that we Mm -hmm. have here and uh, i think tara biggs said it best when it when it first happened she's like i move on quickly and and i Mm -hmm. think i I had in this sense you were kind of you were done with dame when he was still a on Blazers. Yeah, like it was just yeah. it was it was depressing watching an elite talent play on a terrible so, team. So do you you know King Felix, the Mariners pitcher, right? Felix Hernandez, yep. yeah. So he he's you know eligible to be in the Hall of Fame. 
now. And he was one of the best pitchers of a generation. I kind of see the, you know, the Northwest thing. Damian Lillard was our King Felix, where just the most elite talent, but the Mariners and Blazers never built a team to compete with their superstar player. So it kind of was just like, you know, thinking about baseball. And it was like, damn, Damian Lillard is Felix Hernandez of the Portland Trailblazers. This, 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 we failed that the Northwest teams failed their star players and never built anything sustainable around them. Perfect comparison, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> and those, those, those moments will never go away. Yeah. And, and I think the emotions tied to those moments will come back as, as time comes. Um, I would welcome Dame back with open arms whenever he wants to come back um, after his contracts over to, to finish out his career. We obviously all wished it would have ended up with more team success, and that just wasn't the case. And I think that's kind of part of the the scar tissue that I have as a Blazer fan. Is like this was a great individual player, but th- through general manager and you know trade and draft decisions, just wasn't able to really put a true contender around him sustainable contender yeah and it just wasn't it's a bummer because just that one we got one ride with it in in 2019 and it was it was fabulous but you get that taste you You kind of want to go back for for another piece and that 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 piece just just always Mm -hmm. out of reach so for all attending soak it up it's going to be a great atmosphere great environment the closest thing to a playoff game i mean this franchise is going to experience in a couple of years as we keep riding the rebuild the rebuilding railroad um trade deadline coming up on the 8th we will have uh analysts breakdown uh knee-jerk reactions to anything that that happens between now and next thursday uh shout out to scoot and shaden for making the rising stars game it's going to give me a major reason to uh check out all-star weekend yeah, I'm just hoping for for a good, fun game tonight. And uh, go Blazers and Sage. Let our listeners know where they can find us and take this one on the way home. So I haven't played DFS in a minute. So my projections for Damian Lillard today. 25 points, four rebounds, six assists, taking 17 shots. Um, and ending up with like 43 fantasy points. So kind of an average game when you really think about Damian Lillard. Um, thank you to everybody who has listened to the Holy Backboard. We really do appreciate all the listeners, all the fans. Thank you. Um, this va- uh, this podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. Check out the Holy Backboard blog for transcriptions of our uh, whole, uh, our uh, rookie, or our uh, college and foreign player uh, podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, everywhere where you get those small bits of like, you know, 30 second clips. We're there. Thank you to everybody. Peace. All right. This will be up. I'm going to do my errands and then come back and just put this out. Cool. Peace. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go! Let's go.